0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Well, turn with me to the book of Joshua chapter 3. Just a recap over the last last couple weeks. Uh, Of course, we've predominantly dealt with that in the new covenant, there is no heart problems, uh, which is your spirit man with a believer. Uh, the believer has a new heart, he has a clean heart. Uh, a believer never has to pray, created me a clean heart, O oh God. David did that in the old covenant, even then he wasn't talking about his heart, but actually his soul created me a clean mind, will, emotions, oh God. In the new covenant, we got a brand new heart, but we didn't get a brand new soul. And the, the transformation of the soul is, and, and Pastor Andrew already said it, uh, that word repent metanoi, <clears throat> it means to change your thinking, and Jesus showed up, and what was his main message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Change your mind about what you thought God was like, because he wasn't like Moses portrayed him, he wasn't like Elijah portrayed him, he, he's, he's exactly like Jesus, And so the more that we see him, uh, it transforms us from glory to glory, from faith to faith, and we become more and more like him. Uh, We talked in a little bit last week also about the soul and the spirit uh, from a standpoint of male and female. And so this week, we're going to go through a part of Joshua. Uh, You know, Jesus on the road to Emmaus, he was walking with disciples. Uh, These weren't just believers. These were people that had walked with him. They didn't recognize him. I believe there's a couple reasons for that. First of all, they didn't recognize him in his new covenant form. They only knew him as Jesus, the man under the law. And under the law, he has brown hair, a brown beard. And the last time many of them saw him, he was bloodied and bludgeoned and beaten and everything else. And so now he appears in his glorified body. Now he's appearing, not as he was, but as he is, and they don't recognize him. I remember uh, several years ago, that was bothering me. I'm like, I mean, people that had walked with someone, even if you get a new resurrected body, you're still the same person, right? I'm like, so how come they didn't recognize him? And what's interesting is they didn't recognize him until he began to break bread. In other words, they didn't recognize him until he did something he did in his last form. And but what's interesting to me is this, and 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 this is uh, this is just uh, I say this by permission of Jamieism. Is this all right? All right, it, it, it's something you can see, a lot. You can think about and meditate on. When John the Revelator got a vision of the New Covenant Jesus, it said that what he saw was he saw a man and his hair and his beard were white as wool. Okay, so understand something. His New Covenant form. When he was before the cross, brown hair, brown beard, like a Middle Eastern Jewish man, all of a sudden he now appears in his new covenant form and now he's got white hair and he's got a white beard. I mean, that, that would throw you off a little bit right there, wouldn't it? But I believe, I believe there's an awesome picture here. Uh, a few years ago, The Lord had me do a a couple-week series on leprosy, and it was bothering me. I'm like, I don't want to talk about leprosy. I mean, what's exciting about leprosy? You know, leper colonies, you know, arms falling off and ears and noses. And I mean, there's nothing exciting. But we know that leprosy through the Old Testament was a type or a picture of sin. And what's interesting is when you study this in the Old Testament, when Moses' sister Miriam had kind of risen up against him, it said that she was stricken With leprosy and her hair turned white as wool. In other words, one of the signs of someone becoming leprous was it would literally turn their hair white. And what hit me when I was studying that is when John saw Jesus in his new covenant form, his hair and his beard were now white as wool. In other words, The angels in heaven and all of the saints, they're singing, worthy is the lamb. Because he who knew no leprosy on the cross became leprosy. He who knew no sin became sin. It so transformed him that now, for all of eternity, every time we look at Jesus with the white hair and white beard, we're going to remember he took my sin away. Uh, listen, I, I just think there's some stuff there, some just beautiful pictures. And Jesus, on the road to Emmaus, they don't recognize him, but he's showing them him in the scriptures. Well, the only scriptures back then was the Old Covenant, and so all through the Old Testament, the law and the prophets spoke of Him, and so it's full of types and symbols and shadows and metaphors and allegories that are just absolutely beautiful. I'm, I mean, something as simple as this, and I'm laying foundation for. I'm going. Trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. All right, are y'all still here? Are we doing okay? All right. So some of y'all like a week from now are going to shout about that white hair thing. I'm telling you, just you be driving down the road, and go, hey, it's just going to hit you. But in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in Matthew 1, verse 1, it goes through his whole genealogy. You know, Adam and Cain and Abel, and I mean, you know, it just goes through the whole genealogy. And then it gets near the end of it, and it says there were 14 generations from Adam to Abraham, 14 generations from Abraham to the carrying away in Babylon, and then 14 generations from Babylon unto Jesus, who was called the Christ. Well, 14, 14, and 14 is 42. Now, I happen to be one of these people that when I read stuff like that, I go back and I number it. Have you ever done that before? Like read through. I was like, okay, it's supposed to be 42 generations. And th- this was back in the, in the mid-90s. And so I'm counting it, and I kept coming up with 41. It was 41. The 41st is Jesus who is called Christ. And I had, I had my wife. I said, would you please check out all these numbers? I called a couple of my friends on the phone. I said, would you get in your Bible? I said, why, why does this say it's 42 generations? And I just keep coming up with 41. And the 41st generation is Jesus who is called Christ. And it was like four months later, it finally dawned on me because it said the last 14th generation is not unto Jesus, but unto Christ. The 41st is unto Jesus who is called Christ. In other words, the 42nd generation is us. Come on, hello, chosen generation. It's the generation of Christos. It's the generation of the anointed ones. It is, it is the generation of, of the kingdoms of this world or become the kingdoms of our Lord, that's Jesus, and of his Christ. Come on, hello, his Christ his anointed ones okay jesus is the anointed of the father but guess what we are the anointed of the son and we're now here to be that chosen generation and there's a beautiful picture in the old testament because 41 times god tells the children of israel in the wilderness to pack up their tents and move the 42nd move was crossing the river jordan into the promised land it is, it is it, As long as you stay in the wilderness, as long as you stay in the wilderness of sin, you're not going to get to the full revelation of Christ. As long as you stay at Mara, If you stay in bitterness in your life, if you stay camped in bitterness, you're, you're, this is a whole other teaching, I'm sorry, i got to say, but if you stay camped in bitterness, you're never going to fully understand the revelation of the beauty of what it is to be in the promised land, a place flowing of milk and honey, which is a place called Jesus. Come on, you with me? And so all of these are amazing pictures. And so we're going to look at this picture in the book of Joshua about Joshua coming into the promised land. And allow me to, uh, to typify it like this. Joshua, we know, is, is the English of the Hebrew word, but it's also in Greek, Jesus. Yes. And according to Psalms, Psalm tells us this. Psalms, it's, it's either one or two. It says, ask of me, the father is saying to his son, ask of me and I'll give you the heathen or the nation's as your inheritance. In other words, the nations are Jesus' inheritance. The heathen, that's all of us. Come on, how I many of you know we are his inheritance? But he is also our inheritance because the promised land we go into is Christ. We're not, we're not actually going to go uh, and pop over into the Middle East and look for some milk and honey. Come on! I mean, you know that. I don't know about you. I'm I'm real glad I don't have to, I don't have to go find a lamb and go over and try to find Jesus somewhere over in the Middle East because it's crazy over there uh, right now. Just you know, I'm I'm glad that I've got access to Him 24 seven, right now, right here on the inside of me. All right, and that's that's a beautiful thing to know that I don't have to go somewhere to find Him and I don't have to chase Him. Like it or not, you don't have to be a God chaser. Guess what? He's a man chaser. All right, listen. If you got to chase after your daddy, it means you're an orphan and you don't have a relationship with him. I I I want you to think about that, okay? If I have to chase my dad down, that means he's running from me. And what kind of union do I have with someone that I have to chase around? I don't have to chase my dad down. I can go over to my dad's house anytime I want and sit and have a conversation, have a meal have a meal with my dad. I don't chase my dad anywhere. This Abba is not someone we have to chase around. It's someone we are in union with 24-7. That's the beauty of the gospel in the new covenant is he already chased us down. And he's saying, you know what? Now, wherever you are, I am. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You don't have to go running for me. You don't have to beg me to show up in your meetings. You brought me with you. All right? You don't don't have to sing all the orphan songs of how desperate you are for them. Listen, if a child is desperate to be in their parent's presence, it it normally means that they're an orphan trying to find their parent. I'm not desperate to be in his presence. Why? Because in him I live. And move and have my very being. And so uh, some of that is, is, is so much old covenant thinking that we put in our songs, that we put in our, our whole views and ideas of God, and revival movements are, are, are just full of that because we got to constantly, you know, the mindset of revival is, is we'll just, we'll be coming around the mountain until he comes. You know, I, I mean, it's just constantly, because the word revive means to go back to life you once had. Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us it's time to go on to maturity, not constantly going backwards. If if I'm constantly going backwards and I'm trying to constantly find life, that's already found me. Listen, the day I stopped looking for revival and started living in revival, it changed my life. Come on, viva, viva, Undelay. Speedy Gonzales, remember that? <laughs> so, well, if you're younger, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyway, most people 35 and up would know what Speedy Gonzales is. But so, so we're, we're, we're going to look at this, this passage of Joshua coming into the promised land. And uh, we're going to get some fresh light out of it. So read with me, Joshua chapter 3. Joshua 3, starting verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was, after three days, I want you to notice, there was no accident, it was three days. Come on, how many know what happened on the third day? How many know Joshua arose on the third day? All right. After three days, the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, went before the people, and the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel so that they may know that I was, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. You shall command the priest who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail Drive out from before you the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Hivites, and the Perizzites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Jebusites, and the Backbites. anyway no, but, uh, but Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man for every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the Ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth shall rest on the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that came down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the Lord and the people. And those who bore the Ark came to Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dripped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all of its banks during the whole time of harvest. Feast of Tabernacles, that the waters which come down from upstream stood still and they rose in a heap very far away, all the way back to Adam. That's extremely important. A lot of times we read over that real quick. The city that is beside Zaratan. so the waters that went down into the sea of the Ereba and Salt Sea failed and were cut off and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Now, I'm not going to read it in chapter four, but chapter four goes on also then to say this, that after the people cross, God tells Joshua, he said, I want you to take one man from each tribe and grab a rock or a stone from inside of the Jordan, and I want you to have them set it up on the shore as a memorial. He said, so it's going to be a sign to the people about them crossing over on dry ground and all of these wonders that God did for you. Now, a few things that are interesting here that I I want us to first of all see. First of all, allow us to liken this to the idea of our heavenly Joshua Jesus coming into his promised land or coming into us he comes into us because somewhere there was a priest with beautiful feet that shared good news with us and when we believed it it rolled all of the mess that came out of adam all the way back to adam come on are you with me so all of that in other words that which separated us from our inheritance in the land flowing with milk and honey was that Jordan River. It was the veil that had to be removed, and the veil gets removed all the way back to a city called Adam. I I don't think that's there by accident at all. I didn't even know there was a city called Adam. You know, I mean, that's just interesting stuff. But then they cross over to the River Jordan, and our heavenly Joshua comes into us. And what does he do? He begins to transform us. And the first thing that happens when they get across the Jordan River is Joshua circumcises all of the males. Now, that is a picture then of God coming in and circumcising our heart. We get a brand new heart. We are cleansed. We're purified. There's a complete transformation that he takes place on the inside of us because we... Like in the Old Covenant, we, like the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord, he is good. We've tasted of him, and as I said last week, he's sweet in your mouth, but the book of Revelation says that then it's bitter in your belly, that that lamb that you eat, it starts to make war with all of the wrong images and all of the wrong thoughts and all of the kings, rulers, and squatters that were in the land before Jesus, Joshua, came into the land. There was a bunch of ites that had to be removed. There was a bunch of kings that had to be removed. There was a bunch of nations, a bunch of imaginations, a bunch of condemnations, a bunch of denominations. Any nations, rulers, and squatters that were in our soul, his promised land, he beautifully and wonderfully begins to remove, here a little, there a little, line upon line, Precept upon precept. He begins to transform us from the inside out. Now, a beautiful picture that's found here uh, is that the ark is what caused the river to part. That was Jesus then coming into us. But you fast forward about 1,800 years in the future, and John the Baptist, he was the last, if you may, true authority given by God when it came to the old covenant system of all men born of a woman, none were greater than John, but the least in the kingdom is greater than he. John is standing in the Jordan river and he starts preaching because Pharisees, religious Jews came out to see him and John starts calling them whitewashed tombs. And, 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 and he's like, you know what? You, you, you're, you're nothing but, you know, from Satan himself. And, and then he says something interesting. He said, God can take of these stones. He points at some stones. Well, What stones? I mean, it's a very interesting passage right there. God can take of these stones and make children of Abraham. I want to just submit to you that John was standing right at the spot where the Jordan River had split. And at that spot was the memorial. There were the stones that were standing there. Every Jew knew exactly what he was talking about. And then he goes on and he starts saying, saying things like this. He said, the ax is now laid at the foot of the tree. In other words, th- there's about to be a new covenant, a new system, a new ark that's about to come on the scene. And the moment he gets done saying that, all of a sudden it then says, Jesus comes up over the hill, John standing by the stones in the Jordan River. Now the, the ark of the covenant he's shown back up. Come on, you hear me? And he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes down and he says, you need to baptize me. And, John, and, and, and you know, John says, you need to baptize me. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, so that all things will be fulfilled. I need you to baptize me. I want to just submit something to you. When we go down into the waters of baptism, it is, it is a leaving of who we were and a rising to now who we are. I want to just submit to you that when Jesus went into the waters of baptism, he wasn't being baptized because he needed to completely lose who he was. He was being baptized into Adam. He was being baptized into our humanity. The Son of God became the Son of Man, so the sons of men could now know that they are sons of God. Come on, you hear me? He comes up out of the Jordan River, and the Father's voice says, This is my Son. This is the true ark. Those stones... Testify of him. Guess what? Everything Moses was saying, testified of him. What the prophet said, testify of him. Everything changed from that moment on because our Savior then, hallelujah, that's just fun stuff right there. I got to be careful. I want to run off and preach and I got to stay focused because I got a lot. <laughs> I got a lot. I got too much to get to today in Jesus' name. So listen, he then begins to come in and after. Joshua comes in, circumcises them. They heal. They then start to deal with, there was 31 kings. Now, I believe in the new covenant. You know, I, I went through the whole season in the 90s where everybody had a generational curse. You know, I mean, I mean, I taught it. I mean I, I mean, I did. I taught the stuff, and it's like, well, you know, if you got that going on, man, you got, there's this curse in your life. Now, I, I believe in the new covenant, We've been redeemed from the curse, but we've not been redeemed from old ways of thinking that have been passed down through our family line. I, I, I like to, I like to, uh, I like to put it like this: that um, you know, we have been given now this this mind of Christ, and and we've been uh, we've been given a new mind, but. Adam's memory is still hanging around. Uh, Adam was crucified two thousand years ago, but his his memory of how things were done before Christ has been hanging around for a long time. The truth is, you are now a new man in Christ Jesus, but 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 sometimes those old ways of doing things, those old memories, th- th- there are things that we do out of habit because it was imparted to us from generations of our family. It's, it's not as much of a curse as it is we're bent to certain ways of thinking. Uh, as I shared last week, that uh, you know, Proverbs says that from the heart of the mind flow the issues or the borders of life. We, we all function with certain borders, even in what how big we think God is, according to how we've been raised. Our upbringing has so much to do with this. I, I love to tell the story... Uh, there was uh, two early church fathers and one of the early church fathers, he was one of the main men that, that men followed for about the first three, 400 years of the church. And he was raised in a extremely new covenant, godly home with a loving father, a loving mother. He only knew the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God. I, I mean, he, he's been raised a, a lot in a lot of ways. how I've done my best to try to raise our kids. They weren't raised in fear. They're raised in love. And so, His view of God was love. And so a lot of the doctrine that flowed out of him, he started the Alexandrian School of Theology in Egypt, and and he was one of the major theologians uh, in the first few centuries. Everything was based on the love of God. Well, you go about 250 years in the future, and, and there was another man. That man's name was Origen. There was another man by the name of Augustine or Augustine. And Augustine, he came up with the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. I mean, Augustinianism has had a huge influence on, on the body of Christ. And Augustine brought some wonderful things to the body of Christ, but Augustine was raised without a father. He was raised with a mother who was a prostitute. And when he was a teenager, he was a pimp. So th- th- this was a bad dude who struggled his whole Christian life with sexual immorality as a bishop and as a priest. And so in his mind, you know, he, he was a bad guy and he's the one that really came up with more of the idea of what we would today kind of call original sin. Uh, that wasn't always necessarily taught, uh, just, you know, because most of us were just taught that, you know, uh, after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, they, you know, they, they couldn't not sin, but yet God shows up to their son, Cain. And he says, he warns them. God says, "Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Resist it. Well, How could he resist it if it was just who he was? Anyway, just just know that there's a lot. There's some stuff that we were taught that was good, but I'm telling you, in this day and hour, man, I'm telling you, revelation is flowing like never before. and People are like, wait a minute, okay. Now, what about this and what about this? And and, and we're starting to realize some things that are going to produce life. Well, Augustine then tries to have Origen, 250 years later, refuted as a heretic. Because, How we are raised has everything to do with how we view God. If you've been raised with an angry father, when you think of God as father, then then you just think that that's who God is. If your father rejected you, you're waiting for God to reject you. That our upbringings have so much to do with how we view God. And when we've been raised in a loving, caring, safe love without fear environment, man, God to you is just awesome all the time. Jesus loves little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, to precious in I mean, I mean, you just, man, you think Jesus is awesome. But you know, if, if you weren't raised that way, or you were raised like I was in the Pentecostal church, that God was ticked off a whole lot more than he was happy. And he was in a bad mood most of the time, you know, and Jesus kind of became his Prozac and you know, turn his frown upside down, but just for a couple thousand years because he's going to come back someday and kill everybody else. But anyway, maybe that'll be another series in the future. We'll see. That's why you understand something. Your eschatology determines so much of what you believe more than you realize it. And most of us have, have been taught this. We've been taught, well, I just believe in pan theology. It's just all going to pan out in the end. No, that, listen, that, that's called lazy. That's just saying you don't really want to put the time in to read and study and find out what it actually means because what you believe about the end does determine how you live today. And and, and I want to just, I'm going to throw this one little nugget in there, okay? He can clean it up later. (laughs) Listen, if I was the devil, if I was the devil, the number one thing, I would want the only entity on the planet that has the authority to release heaven on earth, the only entity on the planet that can defeat his works and begin to change and transform the world and turn it upside down. The church, I would want them to believe no matter what they do, the world's got to get worse before Jesus can come back. I would want them to be pessimists rather than optimists. I wouldn't want them to to believe in a tomorrow land. you, You guys ever see the Disney movie Tomorrowland? If you haven't, go watch it. All it took is one little girl that stopped being a pessimist. She released hope and began to transform the whole world around her. Listen, I'm telling you, if we could ever just get preachers to begin to actually preach an optimistic gospel because do you know that the world is better today than it's ever been secular statistics tell us listen the world is not getting worse it's actually getting better there's less war there's less death there's less murder there's less crime the problem is all all the news reports is the bad news they don't report all the good news matter of why because jesus said the kingdom of god is like leaven a little leaven leavens the whole lump the kingdom has been increasing for the last two thousand years Hallelujah. Listen, I'm telling you, I believe in a hopeful gospel. I I believe that we're going to be able to offer up the kingdom of the Son, and the Son's going to offer the kingdom to the Father, and then all of his enemies are going to be made his footstool. I just believe this world's going to keep getting better and better and better as we begin to proclaim this good news. If we stop preaching bad news, somebody might want to actually come and listen. I'm just saying, okay, just because me, I, I had my future stole from me growing up in the church. I have my future stole from me. No matter what you do, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Don't you know that? It's all going to get worse, man. Don't you know? Jesus said, in the last days. In the last days. Of course, no one ever asked what the last days were the last days of. <laughs> we assume it's the last days of time when Jesus is talking about the last days of Jerusalem. The last days of the temple Judaic system. The last days of the law. Anyway, Hallelujah. <laughs> I know, That's, <laughs> those would be the questions afterwards out by the table. Folks would be like, wait a minute now, you, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Who would he bring in here this time to share this stuff? So let's, let's look at these 31 kings, these nations and rulers. Uh, first of all, in Exodus 23, 29 and 30, God says this, I will not drive them out before you in a single year, so that the land may not become desolate and the beast of the field become too numerous for you. I will drive them out before you little by little until you become fruitful and take possession of land. Isn't that interesting? In other words, God is patient with our transformation. Getting free is easy. Staying free is going to take some time. Getting free, deliverance is easy. It's the children's bread. But transforming your thinking to now begin to think correctly, begin to think the kingdom of God rather than the kingdom of America. Uh, To begin to think this way is a whole nother way of living and a whole nother way of thinking. And he said, if if all of this was done in you immediately, then you wouldn't be able to truly grow in fruit. I mean, how can our faith grow if we never have anything to overcome? Uh, What we need faith for is to be overcomers. And overcomer, nikeo is the word overcomer. It's super overcomer, but it comes from Nike. It's where we get nikeo from, overcomer. In other words, super get over it. That's literally, literally what it's saying, like an inference in the Greek language. In other words, the promises in the book of Revelation aren't to Christians, they're to overcomers, to those that have learned to get over it. To build bridges and just get over it, man. They hurt me. I know. Let's get over it and let's move forward. You've been anointed to get over it. <laughs> and, and, and I'm not saying that making fun of what you went through because we all have been through stuff that have been Legitimate stuff that have kept us from getting over things. But there comes to a place where we have to get to a place in our maturity and repentance, the changing of our mind, that we finally just say, you know what, I'm not going to stay stuck in that. I'm going to get over this. Because the only way I can get over it is I have to learn how to be an overcomer. And that fruit begins to grow in us, uh, and it begins to transform us. So let's look at these 31 Kings, our heavenly Joshua, Jesus, we hear the gospel. That which is the veil that separates us from him, which we know is a veil in our mind. All right, it's us separated from him, not him separated from us. We hear the gospel because some beautiful feet shared good news with us. And it rolls all the way back to a city called Adam. All of the mess that came out of Adam is dealt with once and for all because of Joshua. Hallelujah. Because of Jesus and the finished work. He comes into us, he deals with Jericho, all right? Now, the king of Jericho, Jericho is translated fragrance or pleasurable smell. These are the big things in our lives that we once worshipped. Isn't it interesting? I mean, there's a reason why there was the big walls in Jericho because in our lives, when we receive Christ, he seems to normally start to deal with those big issues in our lives. Uh, Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was some type of immorality. But the things that are in our life that were like big things that maybe we at once worshipped, all of a sudden it's like Jesus splits the veil, comes, lives on the inside of us, and and, and he starts to deal with all of the things that were fragrant that at one time we worshipped, things that we thought were important, and he removes those walls and removes those veils. The second was the king of Ai. Ai is translated a heap of ruins, twisted and distorted. In other words, these are the twisted and distorted ways of thinking that have been ruling in us that need to be transformed. That there was those old nations, those old condemnations that were just... Twisted ways of thinking. I mean, we we all have been around people. Have you ever been around someone and they said something to you and you just went, "Huh?" You, you know, I, I mean, like you think that's normal? I, I, I mean, do, do you you think that's? I, I mean, I, I, I've got a friend who ministers to people that have that have gone through like serious trauma, and I, I remember one time I had a minister to this one lady in a town, in I think it was West Virginia. And she opens up and begins to talk about how her whole family, she had a family of like 10 and all the brothers and sisters like slept with each other. And as she's talking to him about it, there was like, like no big deal. It it was, it was so normal to her that all the brothers and sisters in the house were all having sex with each other. That that my friend, he was just so shocked that that twisted thinking, it, it, it didn't even seem to like, Bother her until he began to explain to her how twisted it was, and she's like, "Oh, yeah. I mean, but but when you've been raised with twisted thinking, I've, listen, I learned a long time ago. Normal is the setting on a dryer. That's that's all it is. Because what's normal to one person is crazy to somebody else. All right. I, I mean, some of my, you know, Forrest Gump. Normal is as normal does. You know, I it just. <laughs> crazy normal stuff but God begins to deal with the the distortions and he begins to bring healing in our life number three was the king of Jerusalem Jerusalem is translated dual peace or double peace these are the areas of false peace in our lives that keep us from dealing with our issues because it's a double-mindedness Dual peace. Am I in peace or am I not in peace? Am am I in peace or am I not in peace? It's it's the issues in our life that bring us to a place of false peace. Uh, Everybody deals with them. Sometimes it's uh, whenever we're going through high stress, people tend to revert back to the areas of false peace. Some people, it's different addictions. Some people it's alcohol, it's drugs, uh, it's sexual addiction. Some it's shopping, some it's eating. But, but there are those areas in people's lives that were weaknesses that they go to for peace, but it's not a true peace. It's false peace. And those have to be transformed in our thinking. Next was the king of Hebron. Hebron is translated alliance, confederation, or associations. These are the relationships that God starts dealing with us about that will hinder our growth. These are the associations and people that we've been around in the past that doesn't mean we have to throw them away, but sometimes we have to be away for a season. I, I know for me, when I got out of high school, I had to go away to Bible college and not come home for almost two years because of all the crazy friends I had. Uh, I, I needed to get stronger in the kingdom, and I had to stay away from some of the people that were constantly drawing me down. I had to, I had to be away from the Jonas, if you may. You, you know, the, you know, you know there's, there's sometimes you're just going along in life and you're serving your God, and all of a sudden the Jonah gets in a boat with you who's rebellious against God, and you get in a storm, and you had nothing to do with the storm. You just had someone who's rebellious in your boat. And, and there's just sometimes you got to throw Joan out the boat. Uh, I, I, and you got to trust that God's going to cause a big fish to swallow Joan up and, and put him where he needs to be. But there's sometimes we've just got people in our lives that, that maybe not forever, but at least for a season, uh, those associations have led us to death rather than let us to life. There's cords sometimes that needs to be cut. It it, it always reminds me of the story of, of Jonathan. Jonathan's covenant is with David. Jonathan knows that the anointing had left his dad and is now on David. David is his best friend. He is his covenant friend, but yet Jonathan dies next to his father because he could not disassociate his family soul tie. Listen, Jonathan should have never died. Next to Saul, ever. Matter of fact, we know how David would have treated Jonathan because of the way he treated Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Brought him right into the courts and loved on him and encouraged him. And sometimes we have soul ties, even family ties, of, of some that we need to love from a distance. All right? that, that we need to cut some ties that keep us tied to them when we know that God is dealing with us Going some other directions. And, 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 and listen to this. That's not talking about uh, all of a sudden uh, any gentleman in here that decides he sees a pretty young thing and, and, and God's given you permission to leave your wife. and All right. So I, I just wanted to throw that in there because it's amazing how twisted people's thinking can get. Yeah, I knew it. God, through the man of God, God said I can leave her. <laughs> I got to get rid of that association to go marry someone else. That's not what he's saying. Okay, I just, I just want to make sure because people will hear <laughs> whatever they want. Number five was the king of Jarmuth. Jarmuth means high and lofty. These are the areas of arrogance and pride that the Holy Spirit deals with in our life. Um, Pastor Andrew and I have talked about this several times. God gives grace to the humble. The more people embrace the message of grace, it causes them to be more humble and more authentic not more arrogant and prideful because he resists the proud and the people that have the hardest time listen if you've got family and friends that just seem to not get this message it's normally because of religious pride unbelievers love this message it's normally church folks that that struggle with the message of grace because they were raised to be human doings not human beings and when you tell them it's not what they do, but what Jesus has done, something just freaks out sometimes in them. It's just like, ah, Hallelujah. are we all still here? you doing all right? But, but listen, what, what you will deal with, with some of those people, you're dealing with pride. In the long run, it's pride. The king of Jarmuth, king of Lachish. It's translated obstinate, impregnable, and hard to capture. These are the areas of stubbornness and unsubmissiveness that God begins to deal with in us. See, submission is still a new covenant concept, but not in the way it was drilled into us in a lot of the church. Submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Submission means you come under another mission, and it's not just a man of God's mission. It's the kingdom's mission. Because sometimes the man of God's vision and the kingdom's mission is not the same thing. And and we were pretty much taught in a lot of the faith world, bless God, we're just going to come, the man of God, the man of God. I, I love one of my fathers in the faith. He said, there's no such thing as great men of God, only men of a great God. Love that statement. Because Jesus didn't even have that. Jesus didn't demand anything of his, he just say, follow me. And then, then one day he says, drink my blood and eat my body. And he says, hey, if y'all want to leave, you can leave. You know, I mean, there was no, you can't go anywhere. We're in covenant. Don't don't, don't you know, I chose you. You didn't choose me. He's like, man, you got choice. You, I ain't here to control you. I ain't here to manipulate you. Knock yourself out. That's how Jesus lived Jesus is our example. Someone please say a minute of that. All right. Jesus is our example on, on how to lead. He, he is the one, but We submit out of love, but we submit one to another. It's not just the people submitting to the men and the women of God. The men and women of God also submit to serve the people. Jesus' last, the last thing he did before he went to the cross was he washed the feet of his disciples. Do Do you know that we don't have any example of the disciples washing his feet, only a prostitute? I believe they probably did. In that culture, I'm sure they probably washed Jesus' feet, but it's not recorded in Scripture. It's only recorded that he washed theirs. God said something to me last year, and it shook me a little bit. i got to be honest with you. made this statement. He said, you've been, you've been taught your whole life that your existence on the planet is to serve God. He said, but when God showed up in Christ, he came and served you. I want you to get this. The Son of Man has not come to be served. When God showed up on planet Earth, God says to humans, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. Listen, I almost couldn't let it out of my mouth for like a month because it felt like blasphemy. (laughs) Think about it. But then this is what hit me. This is what hit me. Well, of course, Jesus was that way because what Jesus came to reveal was the Father. Every parent serves their children. Children don't serve their parents. Listen, I got a little three-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. at my house three to, three to five days a week, depending. Uh, she does not serve us. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm here to tell you right now, Papa, I want one of them. Papa, I mean, you know, some, a commercial comes on, and, you know, when it's Disney, it's all the Disney toys. I want one of them. I want one of them. Uh, a matter of fact, the, it comes on and I just look at her, you want one of them, right? You know, and I'm like, there ain't enough room in your house for all of that stuff, Katie. You know, it just, it's just how, how little children are. Man, my kids are now grown. I still serve them. We go to eat. Guess who picks up the bill? Why? Because it's what parents do. And why would we think the Heavenly Father is any different? when it's the Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom, and that he came to show us Abba, the creator, served creation. Man, listen, that that stuff will mess with you a little bit because most of my life growing up, all I imagined was just, we are just all here to bow. And then, you know, all the preaching I ever got about heaven was we're going to go to heaven, and all we're going to do is just bow and sing for, like, ever you know, and I remember sitting there thinking, that's it? I'm not sure I want to go. I mean I mean I love to sing and everything, but can I do something else? I mean that's that's like literally all we're gonna do for like all of eternity, just worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. I mean, that's it. I I mean think about it. I mean, I mean that might be a worship leader's heaven. <laughs> but I, I wanna build something. I wanna I want, I want to still do something. Right? I, don't, I don't want to just sit around and sing all day. and all. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I looked at my dad one day when I was a kid, and I was like, really? I, okay. I love the idea of no tears, no pain, all that. that I mean, that's cool stuff, but just singing? <laughs> you, get, you all ever thought about that before? <laughs> just like, even though Paul said we will be known as we were known. That, that, that means there's still going to be stuff to do. I love my, my, my spiritual mother. Her, her name was Dr. Fuchsia Pickett. She was probably one of the greatest teachers of the 20th century. I'll never forget one of the first times she she came to our church, in my parents' church in Bay City. She looked at me, and we were sitting at a, at a Red Lobster, and she said she quoted John 14, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you so. For I go to prepare a place for you. And she said, you know that the phrase in the Koine Greek, prepare a place for you, could also be interpreted. I go to prepare for you worlds upon worlds and kingdoms upon kingdoms. Whew. All of a sudden, man, it just put this whole new vision in me. I mean, do you know how vast the universe is? I mean, if we're going to rule and reign with him, what exactly are we going to rule and reign? Maybe we get Planets. Who knows? That excites me a little more But <laughs> just saying it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the truth is we don't know what eternity holds, but if, if, if the smartest people that have ever lived on the planet have only used 10% of their brain power, you know, maybe eternity God turns on the other 90% because it's there. There's got to be a purpose for it. And we'll ever be learning, Paul said. Do you think you just get to heaven and all of a sudden you know everything? No, we will ever be learning. Why? Because the angels, every time they go around the throne, they say, holy, holy, holy. I mean, every time they see an aspect of God, God is creator. He's omniscient. He's all know. We're, we're never going to un- know it all. We're going to constantly, I believe, learning, growing. We're never going to get bored with Jesus. I think mean, that's some awesome stuff. Anyway, i got to get going here. The, the, then the king of Eglon. we got a bunch to get through. It means a strong bull or a chariot. This is us wanting our own way, being a bull in a china shop, also relying on our flesh because some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The king of gazer, it means to cut off uh, or divide. This is a divisive attitude, and insubordinate attitude as well as a lack of love and grace because we easily just cut off relationships realizing it's better to be in relationship than it is to be right uh, there's sometimes we need to set things aside for a season but then also division when it is not kingdom is not full of life number 9 the king of debir an oracle or speaker this is our running our mouths not listening, tail bearing, won't receive counsel, still proud. These are the areas where we have to learn that God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason, because we should listen twice as much as we speak. And you know what I found? We figure that out the older we get. (laughs) When I was younger, we had to go all the time. Now the older I'm getting, I'm I just realized I don't need to say that much because I, I don't know as much as I thought I knew. <laughs> I just don't. Also, number 10, the king of Gadar. It means a walled place, insecurities. It says hiding behind the walls in our lives that we constructed through pain and offense because an offended man is a walled city. That the Holy Spirit will come in and begin to deal with those areas in our life where there's offense and unforgiveness and people that we've not been able, uh, not been able to truly be at peace with. Paul said, Paul said we should strive to be at peace with all men. Uh, it doesn't mean that they'll be at peace with us, but that our job towards them is peace. And he said especially those of the household of faith. Number eleven, king of Horma, it means anathema or excommunication devoted to destruction. These are destructive habits and thoughts as well as unholy attitudes because that which is set aside is holy. Also, the pain of rejection. Everybody has felt excommunication, whether it's been by friends, whether it's been from a church. Uh, I, I, I continually, as I travel, I meet so many people that have experienced excommunication from the body of Christ. People that have maybe left a church and maybe even did it right, and all of a sudden, nobody at that church will be friends with them anymore. One thing that blessed me about the church we started in Saginaw, when people would leave, when we would run into them at Walmart, they'd run up and give us big hugs. They would come back when we had special meetings and times because I hated that, that kind of culture. I've gone and preached in churches before, and we run into Myers. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm picking up something and the pastor grabs me, pulls me in the next aisle and we're hiding. I'm like, what are we doing? Well, I want to stay over here. There's a person that caused me problems in my church. They're there. I just, I don't, I don't want to see them right now. And I'm like, what, what are we, 12? I'm like, go up and give them a big hug. Bless those that despitefully use you. I mean, what, man, you're supposed to love your enemies. So they treated you bad. Man, welcome to the world. You know, I mean, but we're hiding. And I'm like, really? You know, and I'm like, I just never wanted a culture like that, you know. And I understand sometimes when people aren't with you all the time, out of sight, out of mind, you just don't see them as much. But, man, we should not treat anybody any different because nothing is worse than feeling excommunicated. Number 12, the king of Arad. It's translated fugitive, wild ass. And this is unteachable attitudes that know-it-all attitudes, Vagabond attitudes of never settling down or getting planted in relationships. Also, attitudes of simply being an ass. And we have all. Shame the devil and tell the truth. Come on. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) 13, king of Libna. It's translated whiteness, transparency. This is getting healed of hypocrisy. At times it's when we're having a hard time being real and transparent and struggle with intimacy. A lot of times there's reasons for that. You know, the, the, our, this is soul detox. It's getting those areas of our soul. These are, these are condemnations and imaginations that affect us. You know, Paul would maybe call it, guess what, the works of the flesh all right that 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 affect us but these things end up being the kingdoms of this world that war against the kingdoms of our god and his christ that need to be put under their feet number 14 the king of adulam it means justice and testimony this heals you of retribution having to get even and man's justice and anything that can rob you of your testimony listen The day we give up the idea that we have to get back. The day that we have the heart of Jesus, according to 1 John 4, that perfect love removes all fear because fear leads to punishment. In other words, there's no punishment in love. When we want someone punished, I mean, let's be real honest, when someone has hurt us, okay, and we hear about something bad happening to them, now, a believer tells us, we're like, oh, that's just horrible. And then we get in the car, we're like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew there was something not right with their spirit. I just... Rather rather than the body of Christ grieving, grieving when a Jimmy Swaggart happens, a lot of times folks are like, yep, mm-hmm, I knew it. I, I knew there was something not right about him. I, I just knew it. Whoa. Really? so So we want? We want our brothers destroyed rather than having a grieving heart because they that are spiritual restore our our hearts should be to restore we've all messed we all need grace man if if someone followed all of us around twenty four seven and got in our thoughts, it would scare every one of us in here <laughs> That's why we need to have. God's heart of justice, not man's. And God's justice, according to Micah, is mercy and compassion. Man's justice is retribution. God's is not. 15, king of makedah. It means a staff or a branding place of shepherds. This is that which then helps us from the fear manipulation of having been branded by religion and church wounds. I, I I don't know anybody that's been in church more than five years that don't have church wounds. They were, they were wounded by someone they thought was one way that found out it was another way. Maybe they were hurt in a church or hurt by a leader. Every one of us that are leaders, we've all hurt someone at one time or another, not meaning to. I know many times I've I've disappointed people. I don't know how many times, not because I wanted to. It was just sometimes too much on my plate. I want my heart's to help everybody, and sometimes you can't. And when you can't, then someone's going to get disappointed. It just happens. Sixteen, King of Bethel. Bethel's translated a house of God. This is where Jacob wrestled. And it's a place of wrestling with obeying God and us trying to rule instead of Him. It's where we just stop fighting and we just say yes, God, to whatever, whatever you want for our lives. We're not going to fight you. you we are Bethel. We are the house of God. It's your house, not ours. Matter of fact, it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. He's now living his life through me. Number 17, the king of tapna. It means a cause to breathe or a high place. This is submitting to your own dreams and desires that cause you to breathe to his dream for your life. What what causes us to breathe? what gives us life and what gives us breath. Sometimes we're so caught up in doing our own thing that we forget that real life and real breath comes through God's dream for us and not our dream for ourselves. See, God's not against what we what we want. You know, Jacob wanted, wanted Rachel, but God wanted him to have Leah. And how I know that is because the Messiah didn't come through Rachel, but Leah. Leah had Judah, not Rachel. Matter of fact, as long as, as long as he didn't desire Leah, Rachel was barren. See, God's not against what we desire being fruitful. He just wants us to fall in love with his purpose. His purpose His purpose was Leah. And matter of fact, Laban was being a picture of the heavenly father there. He says, you know what? I want you to fall in love with my purpose first, and then I'm going to cause your dream to come to reality. Because after he fell in love, matter of fact, he had six sons. It's a whole teaching I do. and go through the names of the six sons. Uh, after, after, you do th- after you do that, then Joseph was born. If we delight ourselves in him, he gives us the desires of our heart. He's not holding out on us. He's like, you know what? I just want you to fall in love with my purpose. Fall in love with my kingdom above uh, your own stuff, 18, king of uh, heifer. H E P H E R not H E I F anyway it means a well or a pit or to dig these are areas where we are broken cisterns that are still full of dirt that need to be that need to be dug out areas of our flesh that God's still working on listen do you see why do you see why God said in Deuteronomy I'm not going to come in and remove them all at once why because As these are removed in your life, it begins to produce fruitfulness. When you have to resist something, it begins to also produce faith. The work is already finished in you, but now I'm working it out. I'm working that wholeness, healing, completeness, sozo. I'm working it out of my spirit into my soul and then out into my life. The next one, king of Aphek, it means restrained strength or fortified city. This is our own gifts and talents that can become our greatest weakness, especially with walls up that keep the Holy Spirit from dealing with them. See, some sometimes our greatest strengths are our greatest weaknesses because it's stuff we can do in our flesh without the Holy Spirit. Listen, I, I, I learned a long time ago, I, I could move a crowd without the Holy Ghost because there there were times, especially when I was younger, I, could get a, I know I could get the whole place shouting without, without having God have anything to do with it whatsoever. Why? Cause it's just, a, it's a grace. It's a gift, but it doesn't mean anybody's going to be changed. It doesn't mean anybody's going to be transformed. And the older I get, listen, I, I, I still enjoy amens. I mean, who doesn't, but the older I get, I'm far more concerned with when you leave, are you doing something with it? You know, preaching not for response, but preaching for change. That's that's the most important thing. Uh, Number 20, the king of Lasharon. It means planes or observation. These are areas of lethargy and apathy. This is when we have no vision to go higher and wrong thoughts about our potential, and we just just get apathetic. And we sit around and we observe and we do nothing. Hmm. 21, king of Madon, contention and strife. James tells us that wherever there is envy or strife, there's every kind of earthly, devilish, and carnal work. And that's a New Testament verse, by the way, not an Old Testament one. He said you've got to deal with the strife in your life, in your marriage, in your heart, in your relationships. Fight against strife as leaders in a church. Because tell the enemy knows how to work through that almost more than anything else. Number 22, the king of Hazor, it means a castle or an enclosure, a fence. A king rather than servant mentality that locks everyone else out and that which keeps you bound up. Uh, we We are sons of God. Kingdom of God is not a kingdom of servants. It's a kingdom of sons who choose to serve. That is extremely important to understand. I don't. I don't have to serve. I'm a son who chooses because of how much my father loves me that I want to serve him and I want to serve others. Then the king of Shimron Meron, it's called guardian of arrogance. This is the pride in religion and the guardians of arrogance for God gives grace to the humble but resist the proud. This isn't just dealing with arrogance, but it deals with all the guardians Arrogance and religion is the number one guardian of arrogance because it's saying, I can do this. I don't need God. 24, we're almost done. King of Ashef, enchantment, rebellion, bewitched, and witchcraft. That one kind of speaks for itself, doesn't it? It's teaching and trying to keep law on us also. Do you, do you know that <laughs> Paul in the new covenant tells us that when you're preaching the law to people not under law, you are actually practicing witchcraft. Paul said in Galatians, who has bewitched you? I mean, listen, Sundays all over America, preachers who are genuine, they genuinely love God. They're good men, good women, good people, but they don't even realize they're putting people into witchcraft. They're bewitching people. By preaching law to them. Anyway, go back and study that in Galatians. It'll be interesting to you. (laughs) Are we all still here? Are we doing okay? All right. Number 25, the king of Tamak. It means she will afflict or wandering through. This is healed of self-affliction, self-mutilation, and soul talk that causes you to wander rather than settle and be planted. It's those areas where we self-sabotage. Just start to get ahead. Two steps forward, three steps back just constant. Those are ways of thinking. Those are are things sometimes in our soul and we self sabotage and we don't even know why this is happening. God, how come it seems like every time I just start to get ahead and move forward, something happens and and I'm moving back. Those are areas of thinking that need to be uh, transformed in our lives. Number 26, Megiddo, the king of Megiddo, the cutting place or invading place. This is dealing with self-hatred and insecurity as well as false idols. And Megiddo was always a thorn to Israel and a place of judgment, bloodshed, and war. It's not about a future battle. Anyway, (laughs) Megiddo has, for thousands of years was a a, a valley outside of Jerusalem that was known for judgment, war, and bloodshed. And, And it seemed like their enemies always came through Megiddo to frustrate them constantly. All right, and so Megiddo's been known for that for years. 27, king of Kadesh. It means sanctuary, consecration, and holy place. This is self-righteousness, trying to make and consecrate ourselves as holy, since only he can make you holy as he is holy. I was I was raised in a holiness movement. When you're raised in a holiness movement, the favorite verses come out and be ye separate. But then they never told us, that come out and be separate was coming out of Babylon. Which said to you last week, Babylon is translated religious confusion. And actually, you're coming out of the harlot of Babylon. That actually, what we're supposed to come out of is a harlot church system. <laughs> it's not coming out of the world. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. Matter of fact, he told us to go into all the world. Isn't it interesting? Jesus told us to go into the world, and the church for years taught everybody to come out of the world. Anyway, <laughs> John 17, in this high priestly prayer, he said, Father, those you've given me, do not take them out of this world. I've said for years, the church for years has been praying to leave. Jesus prayed we'd stay. Whose prayer do you think is going to get answered? <laughs> Selah, you can think about that one just for a minute right there. I mean, Jesus prayed, do not take them out of this world. The church has been praying, God, get us out of here. We've been praying to go up rather than grow up. Hallelujah. As all creation is groaning not for a manifestation of the son creation is groaning for a manifestation of mature sons Why? because he's looking for us to to grow up to, to, to get to that place plus listen the scripture says be holy not get holy you cannot get holy you either are or you're not Jesus makes you holy be holy as I am holy there is no get in be B, he's the one that has done it. He has made you holy. The king of Jock and we're almost done. It means possessed of people, purchasing people. This is healed of being a people pleaser and feeling responsible for everyone. Let me just say this. None of us in here are responsible for anyone other than ourselves. I'm not responsible for my wife. I'm responsible to my wife. I'm not responsible for my kids. I'm responsible to my kids. When we get in trouble is when we feel we're responsible for others. I can't make anyone else do anything. I'm not responsible for them. Guess what? Your pastor is not responsible for your spirituality. He's not. You know what? The youth pastor is not responsible for whether your kids act right. They're just not, man. It's not the, they get them a couple hours a week. I mean, they don't work. The teacher at school is not responsible for We're all responsible to share things. We're responsible to one another, not for. The moment you start thinking you're responsible for others, you're going to be exhausted all the time. When you start actually releasing those ideas, And you realize, you know what? I'm not here to be a people pleaser. I'm here to be a God pleaser. It's also a lack of identity as a son that causes us to front in front of others. feel we got to be fake. 29, the king of door, D-O-R. It means generation, habitation, or circle of life. This is the spirit of the age or your exact generation's thinking that needs to submit to the kingdom of God whatever generation you live in, every generation thought a little bit differently. Uh, do you know Romans twelve two? Be not conformed to this world. Do, do you know that that's not a really good translation? It's actually be not conformed to this aeon. It's age. And I love what uh, one of my spiritual fathers, he says this all the time. He said, never tell your children when you were their age because you were never their age. You were their years not that a great statement? Why? Because I wasn't raised with a phone in my hand. (laughs) My granddaughter granddaughter knows how to get stuff out of my phone. I don't even know it's in there. I mean, she's three years old, and I'm like, how'd she get to that? I mean, it's like they're born knowing this stuff. Why? Because it's a different age, all right? I can relate with my children's years, but I'll never be able to relate with their age, and they'll never be able to relate with my age. Be not conformed to this age, So the age, the era that you were raised in, he said, listen, I don't want you stuck in that age. I want you to be thinking kingdom. anyway, And not just stuck in that age. Now, number 30, the king of Gilgal. It means liberty with a wheel, a rolling away. This is learning how to be governed from your spirit and to walk in love, which is what true liberty and freedom actually is. Paul puts it like this in Galatians chapter 5. He said in the message Bible, he says, don't let your freedom destroy your freedom for true freedom is loving one another. Just because you're free to do something doesn't mean you should. Just because you've got all this incredible freedom in Christ, if it's going to harm another human, if, if it's going to affect loving them, then that's something Paul said, that's what real freedom is. And and we've got to come to Gilgal Uh, and allow some things to be rolled away. Now, number 31, king of Tirzah. It means willing, liberal, to delight in a person or a thing. This is delivered of putting on anything or anyone before the king and finding our delight in him, for only he really gives us the desires of our heart, and only he can satisfy. Now, Joshua After these 31 kings are dealt with, it says Joshua, later in his life, rests. We are, according to Hebrews, we are to labor to rest. That almost doesn't make sense, does it? I mean, how do you labor to rest? It's our labor is what goes on inside of us. So we get to the place that what's finished in our spirit becomes settled in our soul and our heavenly Joshua can now also be at perfect peace in us because he doesn't need to war against ruling nations he can he can be at rest because everything unlike him has been dealt with so I believe that's what spiritual maturity spiritual maturity is not about how much scripture we know and how much revelation we have and Spiritual maturity is how I'm able to walk this out with my brothers and sisters. How when someone is ugly to me, I I love them and don't get ugly back. That when anger is no longer ruling me, and I can I can learn to not get offended when someone does something that would be very offensive to me, that I choose to walk in love. And that's why Paul said we're to be rooted and grounded, not in faith. We're not to be rooted and grounded in grace. He didn't even say we're to be rooted and grounded in power or authority. We're to be rooted and grounded in love. And when love has had its way out of my spirit into my soul, love beautifully and patiently like only Jesus can, he begins to deal with all of those old kingdoms, all those old nations, all those old ideas and wrong attitudes. And he so sweetly and gently then just is at rest in us. That's when you're walking in peace. No wonder the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. But I can be at peace in the midst of every storm. I can be at peace in the midst of my pain because that peace is manifested now in my thought life. Bow your heads, would you, Father? I I just release a grace over not only all of those here, but all those that may listen to this in the future. Who knows, years from now, people may hear this. And Lord, I I know that people will come along and add more revelation to this. This is just, this is part, this is not the whole. There's things I may preach differently along these same lines 10 years from now. but, But Lord, I thank you that you're doing a work in us and your work is patient. Your work in us is that you're such a gracious Abba who loves to serve your children and you want Your children to become everything you've placed them on the planet to become. So help us by the Holy Spirit to release this grace. Remove all the obstinance. Remove all the walls. Remove all the the pride, all the arrogance, all the unsubmissiveness. Remove, Remove all of these crazy nations. And just let the kingdom of heaven rule richly deep in every one of our hearts. We'll thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.